And so now, it's my delight to introduce our speaker for today, someone who really is looking to bring the world more joy and make it a better place for everyone, Dr. Patrick Cameron. Good morning. What I would like to um, plant a seed of in this moment with you before we go into our song and our prayer is really uh, in that beautiful song that Susan and Anna did uh, really helps set the foundational piece of that vibration of the Most High is what I would call it. And so you feel it. You know, we're, 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 it, it permeates us. And in that, it, the environment becomes sacred. And in the sacredness of what we stand for as a movement, as a teaching, as a philosophy, as a spiritual psychology, is this idea that, that, that Christ consciousness lives within all of us. That Buddha nature is part of our being, it's in our DNA. And so as I speak to you today, as we go into our prayer, I want to suggest and plant the seed that that's the conversation we have. Dr. Ernest Holmes said a number of years ago that eventually our conversations will be in heaven. And this is what I believe he was referring to, that our consciousness is at that elevated, our being is so, is so um, calibrated in such a way that we are in that, that, that unbroken connection because that's truly what the Christ consciousness is. That's what the teacher Jesus taught and modeled for us, the possibility. These things I have done, ye shall do an even greater. And so in my prayer and meditation this week, I just thought about that. I thought about the beauty of our moment, the moment when we come together and to be able to teach from this perspective for a moment rather than just more stuff to do. Okay, we're going to do this prayer so we can get to the talk. We're going to do this moment in the recognition of the Christ consciousness. And so with that in mind, if you'd like to stand and sing with me, please feel free. If not, please, please stay seated. We'll sing and then we'll say a prayer. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the and there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit one spirit is in this very me in the recognition of that one life and that one life I choose to see within every person that I come in visual contact with today or that comes across my awareness in my thinking or is, or is percolating up in a remembrance of my heart but in all of that I choose to see the Christ within them 
And so in that knowing and in that silent conversation or perhaps verbal conversation, I know that as I see that, as I come from that beingness, I am lifted. And so our conversation today, the way we listen to the music and the way we listen between the words and between the notes is that beautiful space, that solitude of perfection. And so I just give thanks knowing there is nothing to fear, that life is infinitely good in every good way. Wanting nothing more than for us to celebrate our finest expression of spirit on this planet. And so I just give thanks knowing that all that and more is complete in the mind of the one and I will do the work, whatever is before me to do in my own interior to allow that to be a greater and greater and greater and fuller expression of my life. For this I give thanks knowing this activity today, our gathering today supports and loves each person in that expression. For this I give thanks and knowing it is already done in the mind of the one together we say and so it is. Sweet, sweet, sweet. Thank you, Brown, once again. You know, I, I just marvel at the synchronicity of songs that show up and, and books that show up in my life. And I have to tell you, probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, someone came to me and said, you need to read this book by Greg Bear called Real Love. And it was Kelly Kay. Do you remember that? No, you don't remember that? Oh, my gosh, you don't even remember, and I bought the book. Never read it. So here's Kelly today, and Kelly has, has been a practitioner this for a number of years and has, uh, has decided to not do that for a while. But I just thought, well, wasn't it interesting that here, and you don't even remember, which is even funnier, but because uh, you said to me, this guy is redefining love. And he was at a Silomar this year. And so a bit of what, uh, and he was phenomenal. He, he was phenomenal. So I wanted to, to continue that conversation that we began last week. And actually the title of my uh, sharing today is The Longest Journey with the Sweetest, and it says path, but it's really the, the sweetest destination because the path might not be sweet. And I want to let you know that uh, I don't want to create false hope for you. But uh, uh, what I wanted to, to do was kind of weave a narrative around um, what I believe is valuable and what's alive within our movement, within our community, and what I think is wanting to happen. And I think what it is is we're being called to a bigger idea. Part of our vision and mission as a movement, our tradition is religious science. It was founded by Dr. Ernest Holmes and. He wrote the first book in 1926, the first book that was published, uh, or a textbook was published in 1926, I should say, but it's been around a long time. And so our vision and mission is, our vision is a world that works for everyone. Our mission is awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence, and our purpose, um, I'm sorry, our mission is how we do it. Our, so let me back up. Awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence vision. How we do that, which is the mission, is we, we teach, we provide tools and, uh, and uh, skills and tools for the transformation of the individual and global consciousness. So we're here about transforming consciousness um, and, impacting, and impacting 100 million lives. So all those words fit. I've got them all mixed up right now. Impacting and touching 100 million lives by imparting spiritual tools for personal and global transformation, by awakening humanity to its spiritual magnificence. So I've got that all mixed up and backwards, but those are the three principles. So don't pay any attention to the order. <laughs> I'll tell you, as I sit here and as I marinate in this and as those songs come, I, it, it's sometimes hard for me to track the linearness of what we're doing. So let me pull that in a bit for you. 
Dr. Ernest Holmes said this years ago. We must be willing to look at a thing until it has no power over us. We must be willing to look at a thing until it has no power over us. We must be willing to look at a thing until it has no power over us. And what he understood was the power of our minds, we're called the science of mind. What is, what is moving and shaking within a movement and moving and shaking on the planet right now is um, there's some wonderful work being done by some brilliant people but talking about uh, what has happened globally with the way the world conducts itself. And, and what, what's happened is the planet and people have become commodities. And I was listening to a speaker, a bit of a speaker this week, and what it is is just simply a reflection of gathering. People are aberrant gatherers. The more we have, the safer we'll be. It's, 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 about, the, it's about the accumulation of, of stuff. And it's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's just not a very interesting nor, nor divinely inspired idea. And so when we talk about as a movement touching and impacting 100 million lives, how do we do that? And what, why would we have value? And so what's being given birth within our movement is a whole different perspective on what wants to happen. One of the people that I've been working with, I've been around a few times, maybe her first time, is my, my current mentor that I'm studying with is Marsha Sutton. And Marsha has spent the last 25 years putting together some very mystical practices around what Dr. Holmes taught. And so when Dr. Holmes said we must be willing to, to look at something until it no longer has power over us, what, what Marsha has defined in this, and I think it's a brilliant uh, companion to this idea, we have, we, we, with our, our, our conceptions and ideas around our own spirituality and our own experiences in the world, we, can, we come up with an ideal come up with an idea. So last week I talked about real love. And real love, I'm going to talk a little bit. It's the book by Greg Bear that I, I said uh, Kelly's responsible for, that she doesn't remember. But you are. Anyway, but, but Greg Bear said real love is, real love is that, that in, our, in my relationship with whoever it may be, my interest in it is your happiness. That's real love. And so, and so with that, when we offer that to one another, and so what that means is that, that when I'm in a relationship with you, I'm there to give unconditionally. My gift is given without any expectation of return. But it's typically not how the world works. Typically, it's, I'm, it, it's that, that conditional love of I'm giving you something because I want something back from you. But my interest in real love, as Dr. Greg Bear would say, and I think it really defines it well, is my interest is your happiness. What happens <clears throat> is that is that uh, for most of us, we don't have that experience. We don't have the vocabulary. It's a new language. It's like learning French or Spanish or English. There's no, there's no vocabulary for it. There's a wonderful, I use the, the story, I, I, I use Brown in it, but imagine that Brown and I are on a boat and we're shipwrecked and we wash up on this deserted island and we're there all alone. Nobody around, there's nothing there but a couple of palm trees and a bunch of sand. And so after about four days, I'm getting really hungry and Brown's really hungry. And so my response to this is to say, point my finger at him and say, you know, you're not doing a very good job of providing me with food. <laughs> and the hungrier I become, as Greg, Greg Bear says, the more I complain. I'm not getting what I need. Not an hour goes by that I don't remind you that I'm starving and you're to blame. 
And what Brown would probably conclude at some point in time is, you're insane. Because he had nothing to do with the shipwreck. He had nothing to do with us being washed ashore on this island. But I'm blaming him. And it's a wonderful metaphor that, that uh, Greg Bear uses in his book. He calls it the missing ingredient. Two starving people with no source of food cannot possibly give each other what they need. And no amount of anger or blame can change that. But the way the world usually works is that I'm going to blame you because I'm angry. Because you're not giving me what I need. You're not giving me the real love that I need. Because we all, we, see, we all understand. We, we, don't, we don't understand, but we sense there's something missing. And so we go out in the world and we gather and we gather as we've seen how we've commoditized the world. When I think about things that have been changed into commodity, I think back to Alex Thomas Haig's memorial here. This place was packed with about 500 people. And I met with his mother. He's the young man who took his own life in Mill Creek several months ago. Young guy just coming into his own. But she said he's been working in the oil sands and they've been working him and working him and working him and you know, all these extraordinary hours with the compensation to, to match it. But, he, but she said what we don't realize is not only are we stripping the land, but we're stripping our, our, our civilization of our young men. And I, never forgot, I, know, I have never forgotten that. And so that's a symptom that's close to home for me. And so the, we cha- the way we change this is we, we, we have the conversation, we have the real conversation, and we tell one another the truth. And when I look at the world and I realize, and it's not mine to tear it down, it's not, my blame and anger is not going to change it. I remember having a conversation with someone about their son being so angry about Alex taking his life. But that's not what's, what's going to, that discontent will lead us to action. It has to lead us to some productive action. But, but and, and as Brown said earlier, he said, I want you to know that after the service, that, that if you were hungry, I would go out and find you a fish. And I thought, I hadn't thought of that. Thank you. Genuine happiness is found and lasting sense of peace and fulfillment that deeply satisfies and enlarges the soul. And it doesn't go away when circumstances get difficult. Real love, with real love, nothing else matters and without it, nothing is enough. So when we can give birth to real love in our lives, which is unconditional love, which says, I am here for your happiness. That is, you know what? I'm all for you. And yet, the paradox is, I'm not responsible for the happiness. All I I can be is the vehicle to say, I'm here for you because I see the Christ within you and I know you have goals and dreams and I'm here to support that. And they may or may not accept that. And what it takes is the spiritual grounding and maturity to realize I'm offering the gift. And if they don't accept it, they say, okay, well, I love you anyway. Which which I'm sure if I were on the island complaining about Brown not getting me the food, he'd say, you're insane. But I love you anyway. And that's the subtlety, that's, the, that's the, the shift. Real love, unconditional love. And, he, and Greg says, when we learn what real love is, and when we find it, our unhappiness disappears just as surely as our hunger vanishes in the presence of food. And that's what interests me. So I want to talk a little bit about Marcia Sutton's process around how we do spirituality here. And what Marcia has defined is that there is the ideal. There's an idea that comes across our awareness. And the way we get to that ideal, the way we tap into that vibration, because it's a language unto itself, is through spiritual practice. It's through meditation. It's through forgiveness. It's exactly what Greg Bear's talking about. So when we do the forgiveness work that's necessary, it lifts us up into a different state of awareness that I would call the Christ consciousness. The consciousness that I said, I want to speak from and I'd like to, and to invite you to listen from. So when we're at that, we come up with the ideal. 
And from the, that ideal, that's the spiritual plane, where we're all one, everything is, is, is connected and we see it. And mystics talk about it over and over again, the experience of going through that gateway. They say that Kabir had the experience for 15 seconds and it changed him forever. But that, that is that conversation at the ideal. And what happens is from that spiritual plane, it, it descends into our mental faculties. It individualizes itself through us. We participate in it and then it shows up through our intuition. Hmm, real love, unconditional love. I think I'd like to have that experience. I think I'd like to build that consciousness. Just using that as an example because you can pick whatever you want. So, hmm, so the intuition starts to stir in my mental um, plane. And I say, you know what? I want to build the consciousness of this. And so what starts to stir for us then at the mentality level is our imagination kicks in. And we start to see ourselves, start to feel ourselves. Hmm, this would be great. It would be great to be in an unconditionally loving relationship with other people. It would be great to have, this, to have that perspective and to be able to tap into that. And so we start to see ourselves, and then we start to get inspired. We go, not only can I see myself doing this, but I'm, I'm excited about this now. So all of a sudden, we start to build some momentum. We start moving in that direction. And it's exciting, and it's beautiful, and it's powerful. We're like, yeah, I'm going to the Center for Spiritual Living and I'm doing an affirmative prayer. Man, my whole life is changing. Woohoo! Right? And then all of a sudden we take action and we go up to our, our wife or our partner, our husband, sister, brother, mom, dad, children, and say, I'm here to be the presence of unconditional love in your life. And they're like, huh? Nah. And what happens for us is, is that that happens. All of a sudden, the sum total of who we are and what we've laid down at that subjective level of our consciousness is still alive. And this is critical. This is, I think, really key around our movement and where I think disappointment can set in for people. Holmes said you must be willing to stand with something until it no longer has power over you. So what happens for most people is They'll do the work, they will create the vision, they'll do the work, they'll do the affirmative prayer, they'll do the meditation, they'll, they'll do a class, they'll do their work, and all of a sudden, they meet that resistance where you're, the, the longing to shift consciousness meets with the current reality of the consciousness, and it becomes frustrating, and then the emotions kick in, and for some people, they just go, oh, I can't do this, this is too hard. It just seems so easy when I was thinking about it. And the title of the talk today, as I talked about, is that the longest journey with the sweetest destination, not the sweetest path. What it really is, is we have the awareness mentally. We'll come to a, we'll come to a recognition. There's an idea I like. I really like that idea. And the long journey is to the realization here. From here to here, you meet your sum total of beliefs. And the key to this, and why I wanted to talk a bit about it today, is that is, is, my experience has been, is for many people, is what we don't realize is when the feelings come up, which is our resistance, which is, un, it, it would, which is unlike the, the habitual consciousness we're bringing that we've done for years and years and years, there's feelings that arise. And they're false beliefs. But they're alive in us. And the important thing, I think, to do, as Marcia said, is not to go back to your practitioner as soon as the feelings arise and pray over them. Oh, I just got to do a better prayer. I'm feeling lousy. I better get myself onto another spiritual mind treatment and, and raise my consciousness. And that's well and good. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we miss out on is the opportunity to, to be with the feeling because every feeling is a belief. Every feeling is a belief. 
Every feeling that comes up is a belief. And unless we can sit with it and tell ourselves the truth about that feeling, the truth is not who we are. The truth about it is, is our own interiorizing experience with that feeling and tracking it back to dismantle it and say, that's a belief that I carry with me. I'm not good enough. I can't have that because I don't believe I'm good enough. I can't have that because I don't believe I deserve. Well, someone planted that seed. It probably got planted when you were three or four years old. And they didn't give it to you. Because, you know, you're, my parents didn't get up and say, you know, I got two choices today. Little Patty's over there. And I'm going to go in his room and say, man, you are the cat's meow. You are the best thing since sliced bread. You are the most amazing kid that's ever lived on the face of the earth. And, you know, you are going to have a fantastic day. In fact, it could be the most incredible day the planet's ever seen because you're alive. Did anybody's parents come in in the morning and say that to you before you went to school? No. They came in and said, you better get going. You better get dressed. You've got to get to school. If you don't get to school on time, there's going to be, you know, all that stuff. And along the way, they handed down the messages they got. It's that lineage of belief. And so when the feeling comes up, which is contrary to what the longing is for the experience, it's to look at the feeling and be with the feeling. See, we're, we don't know the language of real love. And we have to practice. You have to do this with someone else. You have to practice. You have to have a practitioner, minister, some, and you can't do it with anyone. You've got to have somebody that can sit with you in unconditional love. And just listen to the story. And when you get done talking, go, wow. Wow. That must have been tough. How do you feel? Because that's your truth. And when you bring it up into the light, when you tell the truth, it dissipates it. What you do is you borrow it. And, 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 and Greg Bear said this in his book. He said, you don't have to get everybody on board. It just takes one person. It just takes one person to love you. It takes one person to hold the high watch of unconditional love for you. The most precious thing I have in my life is I have that one person. The most precious, the only way that I could have come here, I couldn't have come here until I found that presence of unconditional love in my life so I could stand in this with you because this is a, this is a rigorous, demanding path. And what happens with the, the path is I talked about the fog of the unconscious last week. There's three things that, that we typically fall into. When we're in the fog of the unconscious, as they, we did on the island, Brown and I started blaming him. We get angry, we get upset, and we start to blame and we start to point fingers. And in and, and the, and the role I play here, when, when this happens for you, when I push the button, see what, what I know is true is I didn't install the button, but sometimes I push it. And I do it because I love you. I do it because I want to inspire you to look at things in a different way and so that this, this community can be a, a force for good in the world so that we touch and impact 100 million lives, so that we bring such a potent and vibrant sense of love into this world and into our families and, and implant it and inspire our children that the world is transformed. And I think that's what we're called to do. So my, my participation in this thing that we would call love is what I know is I'm not responsible for your happiness, but it is first and foremost what I'm for. But I can't make you happy. I also can't make anybody angry, and you can't either. It's a choice. What happens, Greg Bear tells a story of, he said, you're, you're sitting by this woman's pool and you're reading a, a paper and somebody's splashing you. 
And it splashes you a little bit, and you're like, you ignore it. You keep reading the paper. And then they splash you a little bit more, and it's like, God, look, stop it. And then they really dump some water, and you're like, and you put the paper down, and they're not splashing you. They're drowning. All of a sudden, you realize, oh, my gosh, they're not trying to annoy me. I need to go over and help pull them out of the pool. But you see the perception? I'm not splashing you to annoy you. I'm splashing you because I love you. And I'm clear about it. I'm really clear about my role here. And, and Marcia Sutton has been such a blessing. If I hadn't found Marcia Sutton in the last year, I don't think I'd still be here. But this is our opportunity to shift and change and transform. And I know it's my opportunity to do this work. Because I look at the world. I look at the conditions. I look at the commodities. I talked about West Virginia. West Virginia mountains are gone. 500 of them are gone because the commercial corporations went in there and they exploited it and they took the mountains down. They're gone forever. And this is what's happening on our planet. And it's, is it bad or It's sad. I mourn that. But I, for me to shame and blame, I want to keep the conversation alive to say, you know what, we need to bring a bigger idea of love. How big is our, how big is our God? When people say to me, it's hopeless, how big is your God? Because my, my God is capable of anything. And that's what the co-creation process is about. It's not me coming up with a new, another big idea, another good idea. That's the level of the mind. It's at that level of the ideal that we can tap into individually and collectively. And that's exciting. It's exciting. We're here to do this work. I was on the phone with my mentor, my co-creation mentor, yesterday, and she said that, that the, the amount of people that are asking, and she does this full-time. She's coming in two weeks to work with our practitioners again. She said the amount of people that are, are, are begging for this within communities now, for this healing to take place within the communities. Because we got it. We got a powerful, powerful teaching. But we get stuck. We get stuck and we miss the point when the feelings bubble up. We, we affirm over it and we affirm over it and affirm over it. I'll say another prayer over it. When in fact what the opportunity is is to look at it and say, get thee behind me. Is what Jesus said. Get thee behind me. It's an idea that doesn't work here anymore. I'm for the love, and this is not a reflection of the love. But unless we look at it and pull it up into the light, because it dissipates it, because what dissolves it is love. Greg Bear says the same thing. Marcia Sutton says, they're both saying the same thing. It's powerful. It's exciting. So we have that ideal. So the, the thing to, to do in all this, because the goal for all of us is joy and freedom. It's joy and freedom. It is possible. That's the God that I know, and that's the God that I'm in service to. And she's a beautiful goddess and God. It's both, father, mother, God. And, and it's such an honor to be in this work with you. It's such an honor to be, to be guided. I tell you, you know, when, when I first came here, they asked me, well, what do you think one of your outstanding qualities is? I have been intuitively connected to that, that mystical plane my whole life. I grew up around mystics. And so when people would say, why would a grown man, with, with especially a white male Caucasian that could do anything he wants on this planet because that's the bias, choose this. Man, I could have I gone to the circus. I could have been, been a trapeze artist. I could have been, you know, I'm, I'm goofing. But, but the point is, is that because that, that call within me, so the, parents, the, the, the parenting I got and the trauma of that, and some people can't do the work. Some people, I said to Marcia, I said, who, who, some people can't do this work. And she said, well, many times people have to have psychological help to get to this point. So if that's where you are, resonates with it. And I had to do that. I did both. I had a practitioner and I had a therapist. Because I had to unravel 
a lot of the trauma that was given me, and not intentionally, but it was given me just being in that environment. And, and, and I didn't realize that I was so hungry for love, and it was imitation love, I walked away from anything and everything to go to Hollywood to be an actor because I thought that was the answer. I'll go be a famous movie star, and I will get validation and get filled up from that, and it's imitation love. So it was so frightening when I had the experience and I started to work, and it's fun to look back at this stuff, and I laugh. Yeah, it's great. It was like my younger brother doing that stuff. But the great thing about it was I was having success, and I go, oh, my God, I feel just as empty and hollow and, and, and longing and, and hopeless as I did when I arrived. And that's when I had to dig in and start doing the work. So sometimes it takes, it takes time to unravel this. But when we unravel it, we start to move forward. It's, it's, there's nothing like it. It's the freedom and the joy, the celebration. So when those feelings come up, yes, you're going to go back and you're going to do prayer work. But don't waste the opportunity to look at it and say, what is alive here? What is going on here? I want to I share a story with you that I'm going to, and then wrap it up. Because I think it's such a beautiful story and I think you'll remember stories. I know I do. And it comes from Greg Bear's real love. He's an amazing man. He's just an amazing, amazing man. And we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna do some things. We're gonna do some real love circles here. We're gonna get some things rolled out. We're gonna, we're, this is just the beginning. The books are not in the bookstore, but they're on their way. And he's got wonderful books. Real love on parenting, real love in the workplace, real love in marriage, powerful, powerful stuff. This story is called The Wart King. Oh, once there was a rich and beautiful kingdom that stretched beyond the horizon in all directions. But the prince of that kingdom was very unhappy. He had warts all over his face. And everywhere he went, people teased him and laughed at him, so he mostly stayed in his room alone and miserable. Upon the death of his father, the prince became king and issued a decree that no one on pain of death would ever laugh at his warts again. But still he stayed in his room ashamed and alone. And on a rare occasion that he did go out, he put a cloth bag over his head which covered his warts, but also made it difficult for him to see. And finally, after many years, the king heard about a wise man living on top of a nearby mountain. Hoping that the wise man could help him, the king climbed the mountain and found the old man sitting under a tree. Taking the bag off his head, the king said, I've come for your help. And the wise man looked intently at the king for several long moments and finally said, you have warts on your face. The king was enraged. That was not what he'd climbed all the way to hear. No, I don't, he screamed. Ashamed and angry, he put the bag back over his head. Yes, you do, the wise man gently said. I'll have you killed, said the king. Then call your guards, the wise man said. My guards aren't here, the king shrieked helplessly. I climbed all the way up this mountain to ask for your help, and all you can say is I have warts on my face. How cruel are you? Angry and frustrated, the king ran from the wise man, falling repeatedly because he couldn't see very well with the bag on his head. And finally, the king fell down a steep slope into a lake where he began to drown. The wise man jumped in, pulled the king to shore, and took the bag from his head so he could breathe. The king was horrified when he saw the wise man staring at him. You're laughing at me, said the king. Not at all, the wise man replied. Not at all. 
With his eyes fixed on the ground, the king said, the boys in the village laughed at me, and my father was ashamed of me. Well, that's not, I'm not one of the boys in the village, said the wise man, and I'm not your father. That must have been hard for you. Yes, it was, the king admitted with tears in his eyes. But as you can see, I'm not laughing at you, and I'm not ashamed of you, the wise man said. Somehow being with the wise men did, did feel different to the king. He looked into the lake and he saw his reflection. And the king finally said, I really do have warts on my face. I know, the wise man said. And you don't find them disgusting? No. I don't find, I don't find it disgusting at all. He said, I don't even find my own warts disgusting, the wise man said. And then the king noticed for the first time that the wise men also had warts. Why do, you not wear a, why do you not wear a bag over your head, the king asked. Well, I used to, the old man replied. But with the bag over my head, I couldn't see. And I was lonely, so I took it off. Didn't people laugh at you, asked the king. Oh, sure, some did. And I hated that, just as you do. But gradually I found a few people who didn't laugh, and that made me very happy. The king was thrilled. No one had ever looked at his warts without laughing at him or showing him their, their disgust. I think I won't wear the bag when you're around. And the wise man smiled and he said, when you go home, you might even leave the bag here. Will I find other people like you that won't think I'm disgusting? The king wondered aloud. The wise man nodded, of course you will. And with the love of those people, you won't care when other people laugh. The king dropped the bag on the ground and went back to his kingdom, which was far more beautiful without the bag over his head. And he did find people who didn't mind his warts at all. For the first time in his life, he was happy. So it's a story that is so beautiful because we all have warts. And when we have someone in our life that we can share all of ourselves with, our warts and everything, and they say, yes, and I love you. I was sharing at the first service, I was with one of Carvey and Owen's uh, classmates at Asilomar this last year. And a couple years ago, I went to Saskatoon and participated in a thing called the Circle of Love. And I did a workshop there, and it was called The True Friend, and, and some of you know it. But the, the exercise is that someone will say, sometimes I feel like I'm not good enough. And the partner's response is simply to say, yes, I hear you, and I love you. Sometimes I feel like I've, make, I've done terrible things to people. And your partner's response is yes, and I love you. And this young lady came up to me and she said, that workshop that you did with us that day changed my life forever. That's why I decided to become a minister. And I thought, isn't it interesting? We long for this. We are drowning. We are drowning. And we don't even know it. We are so desperate for real love in our lives. We will do anything. And, and the majority of it is imitation love. It's conditional love. It's winning approval. All of that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with it. That's the way we were domesticated. That's what our parents and grandparents and their parents knew. And, and our parents gave us these gifts of baggage that we carry with us. But as we grow and we mature spiritually, what is our opportunity is, is to transform it. We can't go back. It's not your fault what happened, what your parents gave you. It's, it's not my fault what my mom and dad did. They did the best they knew how. But it is my opportunity to do something different with it now. 
And what I can do with it is I can pull it up and I can have the experience. I can pull my warts up and say, yeah, this is me. And I can admit, I got warts. I got, I got places I can do better. And what you want to have somebody in your life that will say to you, yes, and I love you. So you've got to be careful who you pick. Because a lot of times when you say to people, yes, I have warts, and they'll say, oh, yeah, and you smell too. I was at the folk festival uh, last week. Were you there last week? And, and it was late at night. We're up on the hill. You could not get farther away from the stage than where Laura and I were, which either means we got there late or it was really a prominent place to sit, but there weren't a lot of people asking if we'd move out of the location. If we moved back three feet, we wouldn't have seen anything. Um, if it were a baseball stadium, we were in the far left field in the upper deck. But anyway, it was late, and Bonnie Raitt was playing, and I said, I'm going to go to the bathroom. And as I'm walking along the fence... People are smoking there, because there's no smoking there, but they were all smoking. But they weren't smoking cigarettes. And as I got up, my knees were really stiff. And I was a little sore because I'd been sitting, and all of a sudden I start walking through this wall of smoke. <laughs> and as I got to the, to the bathrooms, we're sure about 200 yards down, it was like, what am I doing? My knees, my knees don't hurt at all anymore. <laughs> I think I'm going to walk back down through this cloud of smoke again. <laughs> I, I just got to tell you, it's nothing to do with the talk. I got to tell you, we're, we're, we're way in the back, and, and these kids are all, there's a sign that says no sliding, right? And I get it, because if somebody hurts himself, kid breaks their arm, whatever. No sliding, and we're on the hill, and they're sliding down on these pieces of cardboard. So this guy comes from security, takes all the cardboard away. He leaves. Within 10 minutes, they're all back sliding down more pieces of cardboard. And I'm watching it, and this is going on. Pretty soon, there's like 50 kids sliding. So they come back, and they put the no slide, another no sliding sign up, and they leave. Well, now the kids take the sliding, no sliding signs down, and they're using them to slide down. And I said to Laura, isn't this amazing? This is just the best. That was before I went to the bathroom late at night. <laughs> but the point, the point being is that to be able, you know, to be in this and to have the wisdom, to have the perspective on our own experiences of life and understand this is a powerful teaching. If, this is a wonderful tool. But to use it and use it well with wisdom and clarity and consciousness. And, and, and to understand that the, the, three, the three layers of, of um, the fog of the unconscious I spoke about last week. Number one, we blame and shame. We attack. Which, you know, that story of being on the island with Brown. It's his fault I'm hungry. He's not doing enough. He's not giving me what I need. And he doesn't have anything to give. So we don't understand the language of unconditional love. And, and the beautiful thing about my journey with this is I've had enough people come along in my life that have gifted me that that have been so healthy spiritually and emotionally they could sit with me and listen to me unravel all of the trauma, all of the drama, all of the stories and be able to say yes and I love you. And there were times when I want to withdraw, the second, the second default mode, that I want to go hide. And I knew I couldn't. So I'd go hide and the people that loved me say, hey, come on, come on, come on back. We miss you, come on. It's okay. And the third one was the, the envy. Envy. So if you find yourself in any of those, that's an opportunity to look at the, that feeling and to track it back to the belief behind it. 
This is the work we're about. It's powerful, it's wonderful. We have an opportunity at this point in time to make a tremendous difference on this planet, to bring a new consciousness and a new awareness. So when our movement talks about impacting 100 million lives, how do we do it? We give people tools and skills and insights and support them in the real love that allows them to blossom to lift themselves up into that, that ideal plane, the Christ consciousness that I spoke to you earlier that I wanted to speak to today. We are awakening humanity and this is what the awakening looks like. And it's beautiful and it's powerful. And as I look out at all the godlings here, it's a, it's, a, it's a blessed day. This is a day that the law hath made and I rejoice in it. And so it is.